You're listening to the Better for America podcast presented by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Hello, everyone. My name is Rebecca Weber, and this is your AMAC podcast, Better for America. Today, I have back with me Bobby Charles, and we call this the Reb and Rob Show on Truth and History. Uh, Bobby, welcome to AMAC's podcast this morning. Always a pleasure to be with you. Excellent. Bobby, I wanted to jump right in to get your thoughts and your opinion on uh, what we saw happen yesterday regarding S1 and HR1. Just to remind our our listeners, HR1 is that For the People's Act. Uh, It's a terrible bill. It's really For the Politicians Act is what we're calling it here at AMAC. Uh, This is a federal takeover of our elections and so much more. Um, Incringes on our freedom of speech. uh, gives money, uh, really takes the, 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 the way in which we conduct our elections to a whole new level. So, Bobby, I wanted to ask your opinion. Uh, tell our, Share with our listeners exactly what did we see occur in, uh, in the Senate regarding S-1, and where do you think we're going with this terrible, terrible bill? Yeah, so quick, uh, just a quick uh, refresher. Um, I spent five years running a committee on the Hill, and so I do track things closely up there. And this is a momentous uh, event uh, yesterday uh, in the good and the bad way. Uh, On the plus side, uh, what we saw was that all the effort by AMAC members uh, across the country uh, elevating this issue, uh, and and initially as HR1 and then as S1, and then Schumer renumbered the bill again as a I think a foil, an attempt to try to get people to sort of forget uh, what they had resolved not to do or to do. But this really clearly divided right down the middle. And as you say, this is an extremely dangerous bill. I would almost call it an anti-democracy bill or a fraud on the American people. It was an attempt to federalize all elections, eliminate all IDs, uh, open the doors to fraudulent voting in in about a dozen different ways, uh, create a state out of Washington, D.C., uh, probably amend it to include Puerto Rico, uh, had all kinds of provisions in it that stripped average Americans of their voting rights, which incidentally is the reason why so many state legislatures are acting in a forward way now uh, to try to preempt or block a federal uh, a takeover of the election process. Right down, by the way, to the idea of creating a one-party uh, federal election commission, which of course would never investigate the one party that controlled it. And if the Democrats controlled it from the beginning, uh, then they would control everything. So it was an attempt to uh, to pull a sock around a basketball. And and thank, frankly, a lot of Republicans, uh, all the Republicans stood up and said, no, this is wrong. Uh, now, what we saw happen on the plus side is that that big piece of legislation was defeated. On the minus side, two other things are in play. First, uh, like hitting a big rock with a hammer, uh, you can break the rock, but you can pulverize the rock, and the rock spreads out in different directions. And so one of the things we're, I think, very concerned about and should be is that pieces of that bill will show up in other bills all over uh, the Democrat-controlled Senate. So we have to constantly be on guard for that. The second thing is that um, although Manchin seemed to uh, be willing to make a private deal on this, The bigger issue is whether or not we preserve what they call a cloture vote, which is you can't bring a a bill like this to the floor and win with just 51 votes if the legislative filibuster remains in place and you require a 60 
uh, vote cloture vote before you get something to the floor. Right now, that cloture vote holds. It has it's been around for 150 years, and we hope and pray that it continues to hold because it's sort of like the uh, finger in the dam or the dike. It's the it's what's holding us right now to a legislative process where most of the American uh, public uh, remains and the minorities in the American public, however you define minority. Uh, remain protected by our legislative process. If that were to fold, if that dam were to break, uh, uh, and I think there are people who after S1 now would like to see it break on the Democrat side, uh, then we would lose an awful lot of our legislative uh, and frankly of our individual rights. And uh, and they'd come right back with S1. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we, we, we sort of dodged a bullet, but the problem is they're still shooting at us. That's right. And I want to thank uh, all of our AMAC members. Boy, what a tremendous effort and impact they had uh, really keeping those 50 um, senators, Republican yes. senators, understanding that this is not a bill that's good for America. So we'll keep our membership apprised and uh, more good stuff on our website as it develops. Um, Bobby, you were Assistant Secretary of State under Colin Powell for 10 years and a Navy uh, intelligence officer. And so you saw so much working uh, on in the Reagan and Bush 41 White Houses. Um, so what you see now and, and having that that context is so helpful. You've written a lot recently about the failures of the Biden-Harris foreign policy, and you've highlighted five specific concerns. They are China, Iran, Russia, Central America, and the defense of Israel. Could you roll through how the Biden and Harris administration are fumbling and stumbling in these countries and really why these countries matter to everyday Americans and what we should be doing that we're not doing? Yes. Yeah, so just a quick correction. I was several couple of years working as an assistant secretary of state, 10 years Navy intelligence. And as you ah, rightly pointed you. out, had the great... I had the great good fortune as a young person, a younger uh, person working in uh, the Reagan and Bush 41 White Houses and seeing a lot of foreign policy, been to a lot of countries. You have identified rightly, and I think they are, every American should understand those five countries, how we interact uh, regionally and, and country by country actually affects us here at home. And it, it affects us in very significant ways. Uh, so China, uh, China, uh, you know, the Biden administration, I think, on several different levels seem to be compromised with respect to China. But the bigger issue is that even moderate Democrats don't seem to understand that this is a communist state who has us in their crosshairs. Uh, the communist uh, annual communist uh, summit, if you will, that occurred about a month ago, made it crystal clear that they want to, they're unabashed about wanting to dominate the world. They're already uh, creating interference uh, in the maritime environment. They're creating it in the trade environment. They're creating it in space. They're working uh, for security advantages. And I think, you know, just as Ronald Reagan uh, very clearly saw what the Soviet Union was up to and their aggressive, uh, in their case, aggressive military uh, behavior. China is in a position of leaning forward and being aggressive in the world. And I think we have to rally our allies, et cetera. What Biden has done is the exact reverse. He's effectively uh, said, well, you know, cultural norms allow the oppression of human rights, and we're just going to let them effectively walk over a lot of these countries, uh, uh, a lot of these minorities, as well as Hong Kong, and, and threaten the islands in the region and set up artificial islands with fighter jets on them so that they can terrorize or potentially uh, overtake Taiwan. I think we have to understand that our allies depend on us to be a strong, faithful ally. And if we want to have allies and we want other countries to be allied with us and not with China, we need to understand that stepping forward to be true to our allies 
uh, in the region is critical. Um, if you step to the next big one, it's Iran. Uh, Iran, you know, it looks like they're in Geneva now uh, trying, or they were recently trying to, the Biden administration trying to reopen this idea of a nuclear agreement, which is a complete dead end from the get-go because it gives permission to Iran over time to create a nuclear weapon. Um, Iran is the, is the promoter, is the prime promoter of terrorism all over the world. Uh, they support Hezbollah, the reason that uh, they support Hamas, the reason that there were 4,000 rockets falling in on uh, Israel uh, about a month ago is because uh, Iran pushed that forward. So Iran is not our friend and you cannot, they just had an election over there, a new president uh, who, you know, they, they oppress their people, they have a fake election. Uh, in in the most uh, in the most ruthless way, uh, they disqualify all other candidates and then uh, and then allow the theological radical Islamists to win, uh, which is what they did here. We have to understand signing a piece of paper with someone like that uh, gets us nothing. Okay, so we have to be again on guard, on ready, and we have to send signals saying we will support our allies in the region. Quickly, Russia is on the Ukraine uh, border, uh, leaning in. Uh, they're waiting to see how weak Biden and Harris really are, uh, potentially interfere directly there. Uh, they were behind a lot of these. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that they were behind a lot of the uh, recent hacks, including probably uh, tacit support for the Colonial Pipeline uh, uh, hack, as well as for uh, hacks that have affected our uh, our. Uh, our, what we call our critical infrastructure, so our food supply. They may well hit the communications grid. Uh, they may hit the electrical grid. We need to tell Russia under no circumstances will we tolerate that. And we have to rally again our European allies to support us on that. Israel, of course, is the is the uh, sort of flip side of, uh, of support for Iran. I would say Trump's administration was very Israel-centric, was very bilateral peace accord-centric. He generated significant, as we've talked about before, significant peace accords all over that region, essentially stitching together a patchwork of peace that would have ultimately produced an entire quilt of peace across the Middle East. Uh, but instead, uh, we've now re targeted everything to Iran, and, and this administration seems to be centered on Iran. Finally, Central America, I mean, if I can just say, I think that um, I think that Harris was a laughingstock down in, in Central America. You don't go down to Central America after having literally opened the U.S. border, having thrown out all the Trump policies, having thrown out 15 treaties, including the treaty with Mexico that was for holding third-party asylum uh, requesters. You don't go down to these countries and then say, oh, by the way, uh, kind of go along with us, nod, nod, wink, wink. Uh, this is all about climate change. No, this isn't about climate change. This right. isn't about uh, poverty that's endemic there, Rebecca. And these two presidents down in Guatemala and in Mexico said to Harris, effectively, stop blowing smoke at us. Uh, this is your fault. This is your border. This is your mess. Clean it up. Yeah. So those are the big five. Yeah, they, you know, it's it's. I don't think we could find two different men when you when you compare Trump and Biden and their approach to all things. Uh, what a difference! And you're right to say that we have become really a laughingstock uh, overseas when people see how we're conducting ourselves. So let's hope that um, that Biden is listening to some folks that are that are smarter and that understand more, uh, that see the long term effects of these bad policy decisions. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit here, Bobby. We appear to be at a major inflection point in understanding how Marxism is being taught in our schools. It's hard for me to even say that and believe that this is true. But the truth of the matter is the hard left is taking over the Democrat Party, uh, or at least major parts of it. 
Uh, the latest effort to miseducate and to divide the nation is critical race theory. And our members, they know about this. Uh, the idea that we should dive on so, uh, you know, divide ourselves on racial lines and have some sort of class war is absurd. That's not America. We are a country founded on ideals, and we're dedicated to individual liberty and equal opportunity. Now, you've written a lot on this, Bobby. Uh, people can find your great articles on our website. But can you help us by offering a few thoughts, if you could? Why is CRT so wrong? And can you explain to me uh, and to our listeners how America and why you and I both believe that America is not a racist country? Yes, and so this is one of the great false narratives that has been uh, recently pushed by the progressive, uh, but really that's a misnomer, by the leftist Marxist wing of the Democrat Party. And it's one of the reasons why if I were a Democrat, I would be seriously thinking about either becoming an independent or a Republican because my party has walked away from me. Uh, and and what have they, you know, what have they done? You know, this critical race theory business is really just a rewrite or a rebranding of Marxism. What they've done is taken class warfare and in, they've, they've replaced the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, these two economic classes that are supposed to never move, and they've replaced them with skin color. And they've decided that that's how they'll divide us. I, I did recently do a piece, and I know we have the magazine coming, which will feature some really excellent uh, other writing in this area. But... I did do a piece saying that there are seven hard truths or hard facts that anybody going to a school board meeting or uh, writing or talking to a legislator or even to a neighbor need to point out. And they are, they're not about opinion. They're about what this critical race theory really does. So number one is that it takes the idea that is embodied in our constitution, that every individual is a sovereign individual, that we are, you wake up as, uh, you know, we, 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 are, we are alive by the, by the grace of God and we wake up as individuals, we don't wake up as groups. We don't wake up, uh, you know, branded to some cattle herd. We are, we are individuals, we make our own decisions. So the first big misnomer is that what happens with critical race theory is that they say, that essentially they throw Martin Luther King under the bus and they say, look, uh, Martin Luther King uh, said that we should be judged by not by the color of our skin, but by the character, by the content of our character. And that idea is essentially dismissed immediately. And they say that individual equality is not what matters, but group uh, equity or group uh, group identity is what matters. Now, again, I encourage anybody to go back to the first 10 amendments or any of the amendments in the Constitution and note that they are for the protection of individual liberties. We do not have anything in the Constitution uh, as amended with the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, the 19th Amendment that we don't have, we have a constitution that is dedicated to the proposition of protecting individual liberties. So individual equality allows us each to rise by our own effort and our God-given skills. Uh, group identity is a Marxist principle that attempts, attempts a massive leveling. So that's the first one. The second one is that equal opportunity is not equal to, uh, is not the same thing as equal outcome. So what the Marxists want to do, the CRT crowd, is they want to level us all. They want to say that equal opportunity doesn't matter, that uh, we'll, never, we'll never be equal. And so in the end, what we, we need to do is group ourselves together and get a big government to equalize our, our economic outcomes, no matter who does the work. The third big thing is that CRT is essentially racist. Uh, it essentially says that whether you are black or white uh, does matter, uh, because if we gave equal 
education and equal opportunity to everybody, for some reason, uh, the outcomes would not be the same. That's, that's the exact antithesis of America. That's the opposite of America. Our view is that if everybody has an equal shot at education, if we can work hard to make sure everyone has the best possible understanding of their own skill sets and opportunity to work, they can raise their own family and security, they can invest themselves in, in, in the future, uh, they can do what they wish to do. That's the whole principle, that, that they as individuals can do that. CRT does the exact reverse. It says skin color determines your future, uh, which is, of course, racist in its own essence. Uh, the fourth thing they do is they deny upward mobility. Of course, this is the Marxist principle that the proletariat never changes, never mind if we just might be able to educate them, uh, give them an opportunity, them being us, right? Give us an opportunity to go forward and do the best we can with our God-given gifts. Uh, so upward mobility is denied. Another, the fifth thing it does that it, it immorally pushes the idea of intergenerational guilt. So by that principle, a little child being born in Japan today should be should be responsible for Tojo. Uh, you know, a little a little girl born in Germany should be responsible for Hitler. And uh, and anybody child born today that happens to have the wrong skin color is somehow responsible for slavery. No, wrong, absolutely dead wrong. Um, and then the sixth thing it does it is empowers the elite uh, to persecute. That's what happens with socialism all over the world. The seventh thing it does is it really ignores data. And I'll just give you a couple data drops. Nineteen percent of all of the world's immigrants come to the United States. We are a minority magnet. 13% of our population, 40 million Americans, are actually minorities. 25% of all of the millionaires in the United States are minorities. We are, a, we are a country that lives and breathes the American dream because we are the American dream. And every minority in the world, we have articles coming out, as you know, Rebecca, in the magazine coming, every minority in the world is trying desperately to get here. Their family members that are here are encouraging them and sponsoring them to get here. You don't have a magnet to a racist country. We are the least racist country in the entire world. Indeed, by definition, we are anti-racist. We are all about you can do whatever you want to do. Your skin color doesn't matter. And there's no country in the world that says that and lives that with more passion and dedication and history behind it than we yeah, it is. Um, I'm so proud of folks that are able to stand up and and bring that same message to their local school boards, to their teachers. It is so important, and it will require uh, some courage for people to speak out, know what's being taught at your schools, ask the right questions. And Bobby, we're going to be putting up a lot of great information that people can get at on our website. Uh, I was sharing with our listeners yesterday that we've got a team of people that are literally at work right now doing a deep dive into each of the 50 states so that you can understand whether or not this kind of teaching has been banned, uh, what, what legislation is pending, and what you can do. So watch out for a call to action because this is something I think that parents and grandparents alike can really stop. And it's going to come to your home, to your school, if it isn't there already. And let's hope that more states follow uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida and uh, our friends in Texas that have already banned uh, critical race theory. I think 22 states, Bobby, I'm not sure of the number myself, but I know that my team of uh, experts are are working on that data. It seems that more and more states are recognizing the dangers in, in critical race theory uh, really is not good psychologically for our young children uh, to be taught to recognize skin color above all things and above all else. That That really is not yeah. healthy for our kids. You know, I, I think about the time that I spent in the military and working for Colin Powell, who, yeah. you know, as, as an African-American, became uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, led the State Department, 
was Ronald Reagan's national security advisor. And I think sometimes, Rebecca, about what your father might say to all this. I, you know, he had the courage to stand up and to found AMAC to say, look, this is a country, this is a country that needs to remember its roots and we need right. to understand the business about character. Character is what it's about. Skin color is not what it's about. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Bobby, I do have a final question for you. I'd like to take advantage of the diversity that is in your own background. Uh, and we know that you are you are an idealist. Uh, I think all of us here at AMAC are in a way, uh, because we believe in the greatness of this country, both our past, our present, and our future. Now, you spent a lot of time working over the years with Apollo astronauts. And I just want to say this. Um, I am mesmerized and blown away that people, um, you know, get into a spaceship and leave the planet Earth. To me, there's a certain type of person. There's a certain type of, um, you know, uh, of of wonder and curiosity and and ignoring fear. Uh, I'd be I'd be terrified. I think it's just amazing that you have had this great opportunity to uh, get to know. Uh, some of those astronauts, I think that they represent the idea that America can do anything. Now, we're approaching the 52nd anniversary anniversary of America's first moon landing. And I wanted to ask you uh, to talk about the American spirit, the idea that we can do anything that we set our minds to and that we still can. And as you know, some of these people, maybe you can share a story or two with our listeners about these great astronauts. So what a beautiful topic to raise and, and what a timely time to raise it so that we can remember who we are at heart. Uh, there is a piece, by the way, up on the website from this week on Sally Ride, who was the first uh, female astronaut, uh, was an exceptional physicist, which is why she was selected. And uh, Ronald Reagan, of course, was president when she when she made that first uh, important step of her own. But you're right. I've had the blessing and it is it's an accident and a blessing over my life uh, of having worked closely with a number of the Apollo astronauts, many of whom uh, 12 of whom did walk on the moon. And um, and I'll, I'll just highlight you know, a couple of things. You know, I was alive in 1969. My father worked for NASA. Uh, when uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin uh, were the first human beings uh, to to walk on the moon. Only Americans have put men on the moon. Um, and Apollo 12, 14, 15, 16, and 17 put, put Americans on the moon. Um, I never would have thought that I would later be able to uh, talk once a week or twice a week with these people. But Walt Cunningham was Apollo 7. Uh, I, I stay very close to him. Uh, Charlie Duke was a, a moonwalker, but Buzz Aldrin is probably the one that that I have uh, spent the most time with. And Buzz is a remarkable guy for the reasons that you just described. These these astronauts and many of our fighter pilots, many of those who sign up uh, to to do risky things for America, are people who it's not that they don't have fear, Rebecca. They they also have fear. But they they compartmentalize that fear, as one uh, as Walt Cunningham said to me at one point. Um, you know, Bobby, uh, was I? I asked him, were you a little bit afraid to climb up on that uh, on that candle because you were the first manned mission, Apollo Seven, uh, after the Apollo One burned on the pad and killed Gus Grissom and uh, Roger Chafee and uh, and Ed White. He said, no, it may be hard for you to understand, Bobby, but no, I wasn't. And the reason is all of us had made a decision many, many years before that America was worth whatever it took. Uh, we had already walked that walk. We'd, we'd crossed over that bridge. And so we trusted the engineers and we did our job. 
two stories about can do that Buzz told me that I will tell you always resonate with me. <clears throat> One of them was Gemini 12. So before they went into the three person uh, capsules that sent them to the moon, they, they spent time around Earth in two person capsules that were Gemini missions. Uh, of course, Mercury was the first, there were seven of those. Alan Shepard was the first guy up for America. Then there were a number of 12 Gemini missions. And then we went to Apollo in a race, critical race to get to the moon to demonstrate our technological and ideological uh, superiority over the Soviet Union. So the first story that I, I think is just fascinating is that when Gemini 12 launched, and there's a story about how remarkable it was in its own right, but that last mission had to succeed because you couldn't move to Apollo without that 12th mission showing that we could dock in space between, uh, because that was what's gonna happen. When we go to the moon, we have a lunar module and we have the command module and they will undock. One will go to the moon, come back up again and reconnect. So the re reconnection business was very important. So just at the point where they were gonna reconnect, uh, Jim Lovell, uh, who is still alive and Buzz Aldrin, uh, still alive, um, they, their computer failed. Now their computer was probably less powerful than this. A little yeah. iPhone, okay? Sure. Uh, it was called a dis called a Disky, but it was critical because it governed the reconnection. So Buzz Aldrin, who was rejected from the astronaut corps the first time he applied, keep, keep, keep working, second time, third time, second time he got accepted. In the interim, he did a PhD thesis on lunar rendezvous. So what does that mean? It means that he figured out how to reconnect things. So he said to Mission Control, let me try it by hand. I have the star charts memorized. I know how to do this. They decided, give them a shot. Bottom line, they docked, it succeeded. We could go to Apollo. Wow. Apollo 11, fast forward. They've gone to the moon. Um, they get out on the moon's surface. The entire world is watching. It's stunning. Um, it's just, it's just it, it rocks the imagination. I mean, Jules Verne had written about this. Uh, no one had ever imagined that humans could do this. Uh, America said we can do it and in 10 years we did it. Um, but we get out there, they get out on the moon's surface, they come back in, they're in a, a little, what they call a lunar module, which as Buzz said to me, you could punch a screwdriver through the wall. It was like tinfoil, three times the, the depth, depth density of tinfoil. But they also had one ascent engine and that one ascent engine had to light. If it didn't light, they can't get back to Mike Collins, uh, who's up in the command module and get home. Bottom line is they get back in again to the command module. I'm sorry, they get back into the lunar module. And Buzz said, one of us, probably me, broke off the ascent engine toggle switch. Ooh. That's a critical problem. <laughs> so Can't Mission imagine. Control said, they, so the short of it is they said, Mission Control said, go to sleep for five hours. We'll figure it out. When they went, they did that. I said, how'd you do that, Buzz? He goes, well... You do what you need to do. And so they went to sleep, they wake up, mission control, what do we do? Mission control said, we're not sure. This is all mostly unreported. So Buzz said, they said, what about using a pen, a metal pen to push it in? Because it was a push, push. You had to push it in to get it to engage and they'd broken it off. He said, yeah, but if I use a metal pen, it conducts electricity, I may short it out. We may be here on the moon forever. They said, how about using your little finger? I said, but I conduct electricity. I can still short it out. I said, what did you do, Buzz? He said, well, I, I felt around and he said, I had one of these felt tip pens. 
It wasn't on the manifest. I said, what were you doing with a felt tip pen that wasn't on the manifest? <laughs> he said, I hated the little teeny check marks. I liked big fat check marks. Right. I liked the flare pen, big check marks. Used the flare pen, got the ascent engine to light, got back to Mike Collins, came home three days later, their history. But wow. it took can do. It took belief in America, belief in the future, belief in yourself, belief in that idea that everything from upward mobility to fixing problems is within your power. And none of those guys ever gave up. They had all kinds of problems. They fixed their own problems and they did it because none of them wanted to, to screw up. None of them wanted to make a mistake because they were there for America That's and they right. were there to do it and do it right. So a little bit of a long story, but the truth is we are so blessed to have people like that in our background. And whenever you run out of inspiration, just go back, look at a little American history, dip into that reservoir for a little bit of hope and you'll come back feeling, God, I could do almost anything. Look at what these folks did. Thank you, Bobby. Well, all of us here at AMAC, we have that can-do attitude, and that's why we get up each and every day. You know, I love to do what we do, and we're so supported by over 2 million AMAC members. Bobby, thank you so much for joining us today on AMAC's podcast, Better for America. And for anyone listening, if you have not joined or renewed your AMAC membership, you get a whole lot for it. For $16 a year, you're subscribing to the AMAC magazine. It's a bi-monthly magazine. You have access to the AMAC News app. Whether you're a member or not, go ahead and download the AMAC News app on your smartphone. You'll get news on the go. In addition, you can save on all kinds of things like discount auto home insurance, health insurance, and save uh, steep discounts on travel, uh, hotel stays, as well as car rentals. I mean, the list of benefits is growing each and every day, so be sure to check out the benefits at amac.us. And to all of you listening, thank you so much. Be sure to like and share this podcast. Let people know that AMAC is the fastest growing conservative organization in America. For all of you listening, thank you for joining in, and we look forward to having you back with us again next time. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Better for America podcast. To learn more about AMAC and all it has to offer, visit us at www.amac.us.